to undermine public confidence in the integrity of our elections that was so dramatic and so destructive that it culminated in a violent assault on the United States Capitol. Former President Trump's own senior officials, cabinet officials, directly rebutted his meritless claims that there was any level of voter fraud that might have had a substantive impact on the outcome of the election. And I find it disturbing that a chief law enforcement officer from one of our great states would indulge in that kind of misinformation and spread those kinds of conspiracies when public confidence in the integrity of our elections is absolutely essential to sustaining our democracy. I He's got. He's on a tear. You're terrible, Todd Rokita. You're the one. You're. You're. You're backing up Donald Trump. You're buying into these lies and these smears. And then he finishes up, and the attorney general just wants to respond. I want to turn for a moment now to the legislation before us. A minute to respond to that. No, you may not. No, you may not. The, the the senator from Georgia just took 60 plus seconds to bash the living daylights out of the attorney general. Attorney General Okita's like, can I respond? And Ossoff is like, no, you cannot. Enter Amy Klobuchar, the, who's chairing the committee, the senator from Minnesota, who's eating trail mix or whatever's going on. And she's like, give the guy 30 seconds. And then the attorney general does what he does. I'd like to turn now for a moment to Ms. Muller. Senator Ossoff, let's give him 30 seconds to respond. Go ahead, sir. Yes, Senator. I mean, that's true. I mean, if we're trying to have a constructive debate, you're not adding to it by cutting people off after invoking their name. I would say that you're entitled to your opinion, as misinformed as it may be. But I share the opinion of millions of Americans. The other difference between my opinion and yours is mine comes with the ability to file lawsuits. Holy cow. There's nothing about this that isn't just nuts. The Attorney General of Indiana, Todd Rokita, joins us right now. And, and sir, I've known you for a little while. Uh, we've had run-ins. We've had great conversations. Uh, I, I, I would, I, you just heard it there, in case you didn't remember what just happened to you less than a couple hours ago. Uh, let me ask the question this way. Uh, what the hell was that? Hi, Tony. Good to be with you. I, I don't know. I mean, as bad as that bill is, uh, and we had over three hours of hearing on it when I left as, as part of the first panel, uh, it was constructive conversation generally, aside from Schumer in the beginning and now this minor league player. Um, I, you know, it was, it was about the issues and about what was good and, and what's bad about the bill and, and it was certainly political and, and partisan in terms of the comments, you know, what, what side of the aisle people were on and what side of the issue people were on with this bill. But out of left field, I didn't invoke the, I really didn't invoke the fall election or say anything about President Trump or anything else. And he just kind of tries to bait me out of the blue. And it was really minor league. And I think we put him in his place. Talk to me about what you were there for, right? You're, you're involved in a series right. of, of, of actions right now where you're leading or you, you've signed on uh, with, with other attorneys general. What was the purpose of this hearing? What committee was it? So this is about H.R. 1 and Senate Bill 1, and it's telling the number because the, the majority party always puts their highest priority 
uh, on their very first bill. And so this was about basically taking every bad idea, every bad practice from last fall and make it making it federal law permanently, permanently right. the law. HR one is, is the for the people election. act. This is about elections. This is about taking things out of the hands of states and bringing them to to the federal government, codifying this idea of just willy nilly mail in uh, ballots. That's my words uh, for it. Uh, so that's what HR one is. Just as a matter of explanation, what were you there to to say about it? Right. Well, I, you know, not only as Indiana's attorney general, but formally as Indiana's secretary of state, uh, we were able to comment on the bad practices that these were, how they would lead to more distrust in our processes, how they're going to lead to more cheating. You know, it's I didn't take the premise that voting is hard these days. Uh, sure, we can make it easier if and we could use technology, but you can't do that, Tony, at the expense of cheating or you know, at the expense of accountability. So, yeah, you want to make it easier to vote. You, make, you want to make it harder to cheat. This bill is just about making it easier to cheat all the way around, and that's exactly what the Democrats are going to do. They are so thin on, on confidence in their own policies that they got to resort to vote manipulation and making it federal law in order to try to continue to win elections. And so as, as Attorney General, Tony, we're going to be – look, the sun won't set in Indiana if this becomes law. The sun won't set in Indiana uh, before I file suit, and I'm sure other, other attorneys general will as well. Talking to the Attorney General of Indiana, Todd Rokita. Uh, do you find that you're engaged as so early in, in, in your term in, in litigation regarding the federal government, more so than you would have imagined, more so than other uh, attorneys general? And does that have to do with maybe some of your willingness? Look, I, I don't think I'm describing it improperly, sir. If I said you're, you're somebody who isn't afraid of a fight, and maybe sometimes a fight you don't even have to get into. Uh, is this you and your natural disposition? Or is this, and, and as you said, see it, man, there's a lot of madness that really needs to be addressed in defending the state of Indiana. And how exactly does it defend Indiana? Listen, I firmly believe that the country as we know it, including our values, including our limited form of government, um, including a free republic, including individual liberty, is all at stake here now more than ever. We have socialism not only at our front doorstep, but it's come through the door. And, and that's not something I think I'd ever see, never want to see. So, um, in, in a, and then you have Biden with 41 plus executive orders, you know, so there's an embarrassment of riches, unfortunately, to choose from when it comes to lawsuits. Uh, but it also re- requires men and women of all colors and backgrounds to be of courage and fight for their country and their states at this time. And, and I wish there were more. Attorney General uh, Todd Rokita, I appreciate you taking the time. It was, uh, by wait, before I let you go, uh, screw the timeline. You're listening to Senator John Ossoff. You're listening to this happen. You, what you said to him was, well, look, uh, I got 74 million people who agree with me, and I'm the one who gets to file lawsuits. What did you really <laughs> want to say to him? <laughs> Uh, well, I, I got to call names here on the radio. Who knows? I mean, they might take away your license, Tony, you know, the way the socialists are. But um, look, you know, it was a Bush League move. He was trying to bait me into something, you know, and had been a member of Congress too long to, to, to take to take the bait. But he needed to be put back in his place. I mean, he's going to have a hard time in his tenure as a senator if this is the way he acts. 
Attorney General Todd Rokita, I appreciate you taking the time, sir. Go get back to work. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. It's always good when members of the U.S. Senate remind you that content of character is meaningless. What matters most is color or skin. Tony Katz, great to be with you. Facebook Tony Katz Radio. Be sure to like the page and, of course, go to TonyKatz.com. Subscribe to the podcast. You can follow it, whatever the the terminology is. Go to TonyKatz.com, click on podcast, and go to work. Tammy Duckworth is the senator from Illinois, Democrat, and she has announced that she will vote against President Biden's cabinet nominees unless they're more diverse. She wants more Asian American or Pacific Islander cabinet secretaries. And if she doesn't see the nominations, she's going to vote no on everybody. Now, President Biden has agreed to add a... uh, uh, somebody who who is Asian American or Pacific Islander as a liaison, and that has mollified her. So strong stance, Senator Duckworth. Right? But dear Lord, you're now admitting you won't vote for somebody who doesn't look like you. What's different between Senator Duckworth and 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 a racist? The answer has to be nothing. Well, she's the one who said the words. How else am I supposed to take it, producer Ari? How else could it possibly be seen? No, I wasn't. I wasn't. I was saying that's a good. That's a good take. She's. <laughs> you never know with you. She's making the argument. She has said the words that people have to look a certain way, or I won't vote for them. Why is there any respect for Senator Duckworth? And there should be. This is a woman who who fought for her country. This is a woman who lost both legs. I mean, has gone through things most of us can't even dream of. She is the senator, and I gave her all the credit in the world. There was, oh my gosh, there was a uh, a retired soldier. I'm going to say soldier is the all-purpose word here. Who's complaining about phantom pain and how they should be getting certain payments. And it was Senator Duckworth who said, can you tell me more about your phantom pain? This is a guy who looked like he was in perfect health, and maybe he did have pains. And here's Senator Duckworth, missing both her legs. I believe also missing her arm, correct? Can you tell me more about your phantom pain? Senator Duckworth, up one side and down the other. It, it, was, it was brutal, and it was, it, it, was, it was horrifying, and you couldn't look away. Like, it was all of those things at that moment that almost regardless of your politics, you were like, yeah, okay. All right. That's exactly the way we should feel now about Senator Duckworth, Democrat from Illinois, saying this. Saying this. This is horrific and bigoted what it is that she's doing. But we have other things that are horrific. You see, I thought it was only going to be this that the White House has instructed federal agencies to refer to the current administration as the Biden-Harris administration. Huh? It's not the Biden administration, it's the Biden-Harris administration? And the minute uh, that that went out, people were like, oh, it's happening. And it's like, what, 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 what do you think is happening? And they were like, you know, 
it. Oh, you think Joe Biden's going to be stepping away and and Kamala Harris is going to be taking over? Yeah, yeah, that that that's not happening. I'll admit to you. I'll admit to you it's weird. It's not the way these things go. It's it's weird. And I left it at that. I said, "All right, that's just a peculiar thing." Then came this series of tweets from Jennifer Epstein. White House reporter at Bloomberg News. Vice President Harris will be leading the administration's efforts at the southern border and with the northern triangle triangle countries, according to President Biden. Holy cow. This is a woman who, when asked if she was going to the border, laughed. She's going to be in charge of the southern border effort? Joe Biden notes, according to Jennifer Epstein, he had a similar role when he was president. Well, I feel good. Border's going to be just fine. But that's not the story. The story is in the third tweet from Jennifer Epstein, quoting President Biden. When she speaks, she speaks for me, doesn't have to check with me. Okay, I can't stop it. The floodgates are open, everybody. Let the conspiracy theories begin and go nuts. Come on. This is this is crazy. This is crazy town. Now, what's so funny is that I would I I would believe that if I were president of the United States, I would be a little more using my vice president than maybe others. I don't have within me those feelings of oh they're they're coming to get me or oh they're trying to gun for my job. I I just I just don't because you're president. The minute you need to get rid of somebody, boom, gone. I mean I'm I'm I'd be that guy. But I would want to utilize these people. I would want them to be good, right? Assuming I had a vice president who I had to who I could pick out of skill as opposed to political expediency. When she speaks, she speaks for me, doesn't have to check with me, is the blank check. And there is no way to stop these these theorists now. This will start the conversation in earnest of whether or not Joe Biden is looking for the door. I'm still not there, but I'm not going to be able to stop the conversation. There's just no way. This is Tony Katz today. So as we talk about the border, President Biden is speaking about the border. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, he's talking about what's going on, the latest, maybe talking about giving the gig to Vice President Kamala Harris to take care of. Let's take it to President Biden. We've done that. We're going to be dealing with a full team now that we have to be able to deal with the problem here at home, but also to deal with it now in terms of in country. And I can think of nobody who who is better qualified to do this than a former, this is a woman who ran the second largest attorney general's office in America after the U.S., after the United States attorney general in the state of California, and has uh, done a great deal of polling human rights, but also uh, fighting organized crime in the process. So 
it's not her full responsibility and job, but she's leading the effort because I think the best thing to do is to put someone who, when he or she speaks, they don't have to wonder about, is that where the president is? When she speaks, she speaks for me, doesn't have to check with me. She knows what she's doing, and I hope we can move this along. But, so, Madam Vice President, thank you. I gave you a tough job, and you're, you're smiling. But there's no better capable of trying to organize this. Well, thank you, Mr. President, and for having the confidence in me. And there's no question that this is a challenging situation. Uh, as the President has said, there are many factors that lead President to leave these countries. And um, while we are clear that people should not come to the border now, um, we also understand that we will enforce the law and um, that we also, because we can chew gum and walk at the same time, must address the root causes that, uh, that cause people to make the trek, as the President has described, to come here. And I look forward to engaging uh, in diplomacy with uh, government, with private sector, with civil society, and, and the leaders of each in El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras uh, to strengthen democracy and the rule of law and ensure shared prosperity in the region. Uh, we will collaborate with Mexico and other countries throughout the Western Hemisphere. And as part of this effort, we expect that we will have collaborative relationships to accomplish the goals the President has and that we share. I also look forward to working with members of the Congress um, who I think share our perspective on the need to address root causes for the migration that we've been seeing. And um, needless to say, the work will not be easy, uh, but it is important work. It is work that we um, demand and the, and the people of our countries, I believe, need to help stem the tide that we have seen. So thank you, Mr. President, for your confidence. Well, thank you. Thank you, Will and Julie. Um, now we're going to get down to business here. and. Uh, and uh, Ron, who am I turning this over to? Well, I, well uh, thank you very much, Mr. President. I think it's uh, time for the press, our friends in the press to leave. No, he knows who he's going to turn the things over to. Nobody more qualified than Kamala Harris, because after all, she was the former Attorney General of California when she was throwing uh, single moms in, in jail. And laughing, no one more qualified. Well, this is just going to be, this is going to be just uh, amazing. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, producer Ari asked me during the break. Uh, what's the difference between Joe Biden handing the border off to Vice President Harris and Donald Trump handing off COVID to Vice President Pence. Uh, uh, let me give you a couple of differences. Number one, the very idea that this is about immigration policy, which is the purview of the president. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing that you hand off. COVID was about just taking all these pieces and being able to share the story. It wasn't the it wasn't about a policy conversation. It was rather about a logistical conversation. But we all know that the border is a policy conversation. And now the president is not only giving that policy to the vice president to run, but stating quite clearly 
that when she speaks, that's what he means. So now, if Vice President Harris says anything, how does the president disagree? Because we were told, we were told that she speaks for him. He has eliminated his ability to disagree with her. He has given up a purview of the presidency to the vice president. He gave up his view of immigration policy to a woman who did not get through a third of the Democratic primaries. For many people, it's going to be seen as co-president. It's going to be seen as two presidents. That's it. I can't say that. I'm, I'm not telling these people they're right. I'm telling you that that uh, that that's how it's going to get viewed. That's how it's going to be looked at. It can't, it can't be denied. Do you think that's how Biden viewed himself as VP? Well, okay. I would say that that's exactly how Joe Biden wanted to view himself. As VP. That is absolutely not how Barack Obama viewed him. Well, clearly. <laughs> we know for sure, for fact, that Joe Biden was never in, in the uh, residence, that Joe Biden was not in any level of inner circle. While he may have been in some meetings as vice president, he was not in those meetings regarding Valerie Jarrett, regarding uh, the the deep philosophical view of of uh, America and and fundamental transformation that Barack Obama had, not in the slightest. So he's treating Harris the way he wanted to be treated under Obama. That, so one could make that argument, producer Ari, but that argument that he's treating Kamala Harris the way he wanted to be treated. That is an argument that could be made, and I think some people very well may make. But it's not an argument made by saying, I'm going to treat you so well here. Here is one of the single most important policy conversations America is having. You handle it. When you are already a guy who can't walk up a flight of stairs, when you are a guy who cannot properly... um, answer questions from the press to the point where you have to make statements of you're going to have press conferences 10 days in advance by the way that's supposed to be tomorrow a president biden's going to have a press conference we're going to we're going to share it live oh yeah oh yeah we are going to have the thing i mean we got to take our, our breaks but we're going to have a thing it's gonna be crazy when you already have these issues and a lack of faith in you regarding uh, not only the american people but the media You don't give this up. You don't simply transfer it over. There is no way the look on this is anything other than You could argue, well, this is just Joe Biden's way. He's really a team player. That's not how America's going to see it. You know what? I should take that back. That's not how 74 million Americans are going to see it. They're going to see it as we told you. Joe Biden's not up to the task. Joe Biden's not up to the task. And of course, uh, we've got President Harris. You know what some people are going to say? <laughs> we got President Harris. What's up with that? Right? They're going to be thrilled, overjoyed. Oh, best thing that ever happened. You will start hearing 
co-presidency by this time tomorrow in full. You're going to hear it. As, wait, are we placing a bet? Are we putting bets on this? You're going to hear it. There's just no way around it. It's here. I'm Fingers Malloy with the Bourbon Minute brought to you by the Eat, Drink, Smoke podcast. Whiskey brand Fistful of Bourbon will pay someone $100,000 to use their fist in a new ad campaign. Thrillist.com reports that the search for the $100,000 fist is an open casting call to find Fistful of Bourbon's first ever spokes fist. The picture perfect star of future brand campaigns and an unofficial mascot for the whiskey line, the company said in a press release on Tuesday. The selected spokes fist will receive hand spa treatments, training from a Hollywood hand model, a custom designed bottle featuring their fist, and a $100,000 paycheck. To find out how to apply, check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Eat Drink Smoke. This was the Bourbon Minute brought to you by Eat Drink Smoke. It's your cigar bourbon foodie radio extravaganza. Check it out on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or your favorite podcast platform. Eat Drink Smoke. So Hong Kong is suspending use of the Pfizer vaccine. They're claiming that the packages are defective, therefore the vaccines are defective. I think what they're trying to do is create more issue with the United States, and you should focus only on the uh, the vaccine from China. That's the only good vaccine that's out there. What they're claiming is uh, that uh, a batch of vaccine had defective bottle lids. So they're taking both batches and saying we're not using them. I'm not 100% sure if that's true or that's not true. BioNTech, it's a German company that worked with Pfizer to create the vaccine, is like, we don't see uh, the issue here. We're not, we are not seeing uh, that, that it is a, a problem. The vaccine that, that is uh, good is, is their Sinovac, S-I-N-O, which is well, very nationalist of them, if, if you ask me. But one of the bigger stories not getting discussed uh, came out of uh, WGNTV.com. It's the story of Jack Phillips. You know the name because Jack Phillips is the baker who owns Masterpiece Cake Shop. And they were the ones who got sued for not being willing to make a cake for a same-sex marriage. Remember, it's not that they wouldn't make the cake. That's not it. What they would not do is decorate the, 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 the cake. Right? That's the story. And they got sued for that. And they got attacked for that. And the Supreme Court said, you don't have to decorate a cake. Now, it wasn't a full-on victory, right? It was this very narrow uh, victory. But still, you see and you realize that people who want to tell you you have to do this, you have to do that, of course they're wrong. They don't understand or believe in real freedom. And the people who who 
actually do believe in real freedom. And remember, real freedom is ugly, right? You can think that this baker is totally wrong and despicable for not decorating the cake, and you can tell all your friends even. Sue them, try and put them out of business, that's madness. This brings us to a transgender woman named Autumn Scardina. On the same day, back in 2017, the Supreme Court said it would hear the Jack Phillips appeal. Scardina requested a cake that was blue on the outside, pink on the inside, in honor of, quote-unquote, her gender transition. So let's break this down a little bit further. This transgender woman decided to bully a baker, insult the baker for his beliefs, and create a reason to attack him again via lawsuit. If it was the other way around, it would be called a hate crime. But no, this is just, oh yeah, that terrible, disgusting, despicable Christian. But you're right, there's no attack on Christianity in America. How silly. (sighs) It's bigger than an attack on Christianity. It's the idea that you're not allowed to say no. Right? That's where it really is. And the answer is, of course, you're allowed to say no. As a matter of fact, if you can't say no, you can't be free. What I find interesting is that I'm, I'm going through this book. Um, I've been digging into the concepts of civility and realizing that we got a lot of it wrong. We view civility in, in the United States, in today's world, we, we think of civility as the conversation about holding a door open for someone please and thank you that that's that's not civility civility is tied uh, uh, fundamentally to the con- concepts of classical liberalism not liberalism as we see it now or progressivism in any way but classical liberalism which is the idea that you are allowed to engage People can discuss, people can share. You, you should be uh, allowed great disagreement. And in that, you find better ideas and better opportunities. You find that you are um, capable of creating so much more because ideas have to be put out into the public sphere in order to find out whether or not they're a good idea. And in this, this book, The Virtue of Civility, it's by Edward Schills, and it's, it's, uh, it's essays of Edward Schills, right? Uh, and so they put this together, and one of the things that it says, human beings also exhibit the striking capacity, however limited or intermittent, to separate themselves from their participation in the consensus of the larger collectivity. Put succinctly, human beings have the capacity to say no. The ability to say no suggests that the human mind constitutionally exhibits not only a need for cognitive order, but also a potential for independence. 